The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. Our Bible to the book of Nehemiah this afternoon. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read it and then just survey it, make a couple, see a couple of lessons here in this chapter. If we remember, because of God's judgment... The southern kingdom of Judah fell in 586 B.C. God raised up the nation of Babylon to bring destruction, and they destroyed the walls as well as the temple in Jerusalem and took many people into captivity. Then, Around 70 years later, the people of Israel under the Persians were allowed to come back to the promised land. Only a few made it back to the promised land, first under a man by the name of Zerubbabel, He led a group to go back to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And of course, the temple was the center of Israel's worship. To worship God and to worship God faithfully in the Old Testament, everything surrounded around the temple. Today, in the church age, of course, the temple of God is the local church, and that is the center of the worship and the service of God today. After Zerubbabel, then there was another man named Ezra, who also led a group of people from Persia back to Jerusalem, and he came to rebuild the people spiritually. And the last man that we're going to look at is a man by the name of Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer of the Persian king, and besides tasting the wine to make sure that the king wouldn't be poisoned, he also was an advisor to the Persian king of that time in 445 BC. Nehemiah heard of the distress that the people of Israel were going through because though the temple was rebuilt, the walls still laid in rubbles there on the floor. And so he was greatly grieved when he heard of how the shape that Jerusalem was in and the walls, how they had crumbled down. So Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, he wasn't a priest. He was just a normal man. And he cried out to God in prayer. And God led him to to go back to the land of Israel to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. What is very interesting is that if if it was my idea to rebuild Jerusalem with this temple and walls, I think I would rebuild the walls first for security and then the temple. But God said the temple would be first because the worship of God is more important even than your security. Worshiping God is always number one. Loving people is number two. And so God said the temple was to be rebuilt first. Nehemiah is going back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Not only for protection, but for separation. That way God's people would not intermarry with the pagans of the land. Because after Israel was taken out of the land, many pagan people have come in. And God forbade his people from intermarrying with pagan people and taking on their false religions. So the walls serve both for protection physically and also for spiritual separation from many of the pagans that have come into the land. And so Nehemiah 4 that we're going to read, Nehemiah is in the process of rebuilding this wall. And as he's leading the people of God in the work of God, there's great discouragement. A guy named Tobiah the Ammonite, he's a pagan man, he lives in the area, he's a powerful man. Grisham, the Arabian, and Sanbalt, the Samaritan. 
And it's interesting, if you look at a map around Jerusalem, the attacks are coming from all directions against the people of God. The people of God are simply wanting to serve God and to work for God, and yet there are enemies who don't want the work of God to progress. In the midst of it, there is great discouragement among the people of God as they're working for God. And so we're going to look at some of the things that cause discouragement and how to find encouragement in the midst of a discouraging, in a discouraging time. Let's go ahead and stand as we read the Word of God together in Nehemiah chapter 4. But it came to pass that when Sambalt heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So build we the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanbalt and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God, and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the mist among them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease." And it came to pass, when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass, when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass, from that time forth, that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held the spears and the shields, and the bows, and the harbigens, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laden, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place thereof you hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. 
our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning until the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, and that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I, nor brethren, nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this afternoon. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in the work that you've called us to do, that you would help the Berean Baptist Church, Lord, every biblical church to spiritually prosper in very discouraging times. As Isaiah was in the temple in the year that King Uzziah died, and things were going off the rails politically, you gave Isaiah a vision of the greatness, the holiness of God, of yourself, O Lord, and how you are the sovereign king in charge of everything. I pray, Lord, that this day, this afternoon, we would have a fresh view of you, Lord, that we would be strengthened in the work that you've called us to do. Help us to deal with the discouragement that comes in living for you, Lord, in this sinful and broken world. Help us to do your work, your way, for your glory. Help us, Lord. Open our minds by your Spirit, for we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When I think of this message, I preached it during the first couple of months during the coronavirus pandemic when it began. Uh, Personally, I I knew the people of God needed encouragement, but really, I needed encouragement. There's so many things were brand new. I wanted people, even those who disagreed with each other in the church, to love each other, to be Christ-like. And so I wanted just to encourage the people of God because I was feeling discouraged, especially when people began leaving, families began leaving, some for good reasons, some for not very good reasons. As I prepared this message, I thought of a man who had every reason to be disheartened and to be discouraged. His name was Lawrence Hanratty. He was titled the unluckiest man in New York. In 1984, the Los Angeles Times ran an article about his life and why he was labeled the unluckiest man in New York. You see, as a young married man, he got electrocuted. And so he suffered greatly and almost died. He ended up going into a coma after he was electrocuted. After that, they said, well, it was probably an error that was caused in his work, where he was working. The fault was his employer, so he hired a lawyer. Two lawyers, the first two lawyers that he hired, because of their unethical practices, were debarred, so they were kicked out from being lawyers. The third lawyer who took this case ended up quitting and running off with Lawrence's wife. After that took place, he finally recovered began to make some progress, and as he was going through physical therapy, he ended up getting into a car crash, thrown back into the hospital. After that car crash, uh, he was on his way home. He got into a fender bender accident. The people pulled over, they exchanged insurance. The police came by, took the report, and as the police left him, another car pulled up. Guys came out with guns and robbed him. After that, He got home the next month. The landlord wanted to kick him out, so was taking him to court. 
He required oxygen. He took 42 pills a day just to survive. Incredibly, Lawrence Hanratty summed up his life this way with these words. There's always hope. (laughs) There's always hope. He was still hopeful, even though he went through such a discouraging time. We know the words are true, that there's always hope, but sometimes it's hard to believe it. All of us suffer from bouts of discouragement. The dictionary defines discouragement as to be deprived of courage, to be disheartened, to be hindered. All those D words you can throw in are doom, despair, depression, defeat. The mind dwells on them when life we feel pinned down by the trials of life. Paul warns us to take special care, especially fathers, not to be a source of discouragement to their children. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. In 2 Corinthians 4.1, he speaks of those who become discouraged in the ministry as they're serving God. The Word of God says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We're not going to get discouraged and quit. Jesus brought up the the issue of discouragement when he dealt with the issue of prayer in Luke 18. He spake a parable into them that men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to quit, not to throw in the towel. We live, we must live and breathe in prayer, otherwise we could lose heart. It takes diligent faith to live above discouragement. Nehemiah lived in a discouraging time as God's people were, were seeking to live for God and work for God, even though the society around them was hostile to them. God promised Israel that if they obeyed his commandments, if they worshipped him, God said he would bless them. But if they disobeyed as a nation, God would exile them among the nations of the world. That was part of his covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 28. The northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom was the last one to fall. And through several deportations, it not only fell in 586 B.C. finally, but the temple was destroyed and the walls of Jerusalem came a-tumbling down. The first return happened, as I mentioned, under Zerubbabel, and then Ezra, and then the man Nehemiah. The year is 445 B.C., Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He hears of what's going on in Israel. He's concerned that the fact the walls are broken down, but he does more than be concerned. He prays. And in the midst of praying to God, he's not just the type of guy who says, man, there's an issue here, there's a problem here. Somebody should do something and then walk away. He said someone should do something and God said it should be you. You should go back and rebuild the walls with the people of God. By the time we get to Nehemiah 4, he's already gone back to the land of the land of Israel, to Jerusalem. He surveys the walls at night. They're all broken down. He rallies up the Jewish people saying, we can rebuild the walls even though we live next to hostile neighbors. Sanballat and Tobiah and these other men hated the people of God and the God Jehovah of the people. And so it was a discouraging time. And the power of discouragement could make the people of Nehemiah and the people of God quit the work of God. What was Nehemiah to do? How should he defeat discouragement in his own life? Well, this is what we're going to learn this afternoon. This afternoon, we will learn 
what can bring on discouragement and how to defend ourselves against it. What brings it on and how to defend ourselves against discouragement. Anyone who's been a Christian for any while and involved in ministering the local church, there's going to be seasons when God is blessing, things are good, and you're excited. And then there's going to be seasons where life and ministry is hard. When not everyone is happy, there's problems, and you're constantly thinking, man, what, what, what's going on? Should I, just, should I just throw in the towel and quit? And so those seasons of discouragement, they're common among the people of God. We see it here in Nehemiah chapter 4. So let's recognize discouragement. We're going to look at recognizing discouragement, number one. We're going to see some of the things that made up discouragement among the people of God. Remember, the people of God are building the walls. They already built the temple. God has called them. The, Jerusalem is the holy city of God. The, the temple is the center place where God's people are to worship Him according to the Word of God. And so Israel is involved in a very important work. In the same way, God's people today in the, in the church, we're involved in a great work, and that great work is defined in the Great Commission. We're to make disciples of all nations. We're to see them come to saving faith in Christ, and those that do come to saving faith in Christ are to be scripturally baptized and added to the church. And in the context of the church, they're to be taught the whole counsel of God. So God's people, Israel, had a work to do. We today have a work to do for God as well. But discouragement can be caused by, number one, by fatigue. By fatigue. We see this weariness, this physical weariness among the people of God. Look at the first part of verse 10. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, literally failing. There's much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. Now the wall, according to Nehemiah 6.15, the wall took 52 days to build, record time. But they haven't reached that point yet in our chapter. They they probably worked for around 30 days non-stop, non-stop except the Sabbath. So if you're involved in physical labor, they're exhausted. We are absolutely most vulnerable to discouragement when we are physically and mentally exhausted. The people of God have been laboring in a very hostile environment. They're working physically with their hands, and they're tired. Saying, in effect, we shall never be able to rebuild the walls by ourselves. Our burdens is decayed, that is, they're failing. I think of Vince Lombardi. He was the coach of the Green Bay Packers of the 1960s. He was a national symbol of a man who's single-minded, determinist, how, he de- how determined he was to win all the time. Vince Lombardi observed that, quote, fatigue makes coward, cowards of us all. So the first thing we notice here is when we're fatigued, when we're physically exhausted, we can become discouraged. Secondly, discouragement can be caused, number two, by frustration. When we're frustrated, we believe the work of God should be much farther along. We should, be more, we should have progressed spiritually way more ahead than we are now. Verse 10 in Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish. So when they look at the walls, now mind you, it's around 30 days. So they're almost like they're around halfway of rebuilding the walls totally. But that's not what they see. 
they don't see the walls as half built. All they see is rubbish. It looks like junk to them. They're in the middle of the work. They're getting towards the end of the work. And all they see is the piles of what the Babylonians had left. They look and they're frustrated. The walls are still broken. They're building, but it doesn't look like they're getting ahead like they think they should. There's nothing but broken bricks, mud, and debris. Sometimes laying the foundation for a project can be the most frustrating part. Moving all these mountains of debris, moving all this broken wall aside as they begin to build the new wall, they become very frustrated. Burning out comes from trying to accomplish something that's unattainable. And this is what they feel. Even though God has called them to this work, they feel frustrated because it's not, it's not progressing the way they thought. Burnout could be synonymous with frustration. And frustration is an early warning sign on the onset of being very discouraged. Thirdly, discouragement can be caused by failure. By fail, when we fail, we have failed in serving the Lord. The end of verse 10, or verse 10, and Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. They feel a fatigue. There is much rubbish, frustration, so that we are not able to build the wall. And that's not true, even though it feels true. It's not true that they can't build the wall. God's called them to build the wall. They can build the wall. But they feel like they failed because they haven't progressed like they thought. We're tired. We're fed up. We can't do this. It's, it's a, it was a great idea, but we've been at it for a month and we can't take it anymore. Now it's interesting that it may have begun with one person. We're getting nowhere. The work of God. Man, we might as well quit. And then all of a sudden, negative talk becomes infectious among the people of God. Negative talk begins to spread faster than COVID-19. Pretty soon everyone's depressed. Everyone's thinking they're a failure. Everyone's thinking there's no way they can do the work of God in this difficult time. Discouragement can be caused not only by failure, but by number four, by fear. By fear. It's never been easy, by the way, to do a work for God. If you think of the work they're doing here, they're at fear for their lives. Verse 11 and 12. And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them, and slay them, kill them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. In other words, you made the enemies of God's people said, You can go ahead and build. But you're going to get killed doing the work of God. This is not a safe environment to build the wall. You have enemies to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. They were saying, we have a few surprises in store for you if you continue this work. You won't know when, you, know, you won't know how. When you least expect it, we're going to slip in and we're going to kill you while you're doing God's work. We're going to kill you. Nothing derails the work of God's people like a negative word. And here they use fear. You can't build this wall. This, this wall that's going to separate the Hebrew people from the Samaritans and the other pagans in the land. Listen, you can't do that, you bunch of intolerant people. You can't do this in this day. Get with it. This is the year 445 BC. This is a time of tolerance here. 
And the, and the people crying tolerance are the most intolerant. So they threaten, we're going to kill you if you do God's work in this time. You can't do it. And so God's people begin to be discouraged. They're scared for their lives. They fear. Many times people fear. They fear maybe failure, rejection. Sometimes people fear that they're going to be hated for even sharing the gospel. You can't do that. You only could speak clearly about Christ and the gospel back in the day. you got to get with it today. Well, the gospel has always been the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God has always saved sinners. And it's God's, the, the job of God's people, even in the midst of fear, to still stand for the truth. These led to discouragement. Discouragement was caused by fatigue, frustration, failure, fear. But how should we respond? Well, number two, we're going to note responding to discouragement. Nehemiah, thank God, doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't say, hey, God's work done in God's way can't be done today. Times are different. This is not 586 B.C. Times have changed. We need to try a new method here. We can't just obey God. You can't just take God's word literally. No, no. Nehemiah doesn't quit. He responds to the discouragement among God's people. We are to respond to discouragement by, number one, crying out to God in prayer. We are to respond to discouragement by, number one, crying out to God in prayer. Verse 4 and 5. Here... Oh, our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Look at verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God, and said he watch against them day and night because of them. Notice that Nehemiah uses the pronouns, pronouns our and we. This is not just a private prayer meeting. And indeed, I'm sure Nehemiah prayed by himself. But this is corporate prayer. This is when all of God's people get together and beseech the throne of grace for God to intervene in this difficult and discouraging time. Nehemiah prayed essentially that God would fight against the pagan people who were, who were getting in their way of doing the work of God. Now, this is very different from what our Lord said in Matthew 5, 44, how we're to pray for those that persecute us. Remember in Deuteronomy, God made a covenant with Israel. If Israel were to follow God, God would give them the land and God would defeat the Canaanite peoples who lived there. In Deuteronomy 28.7, God promised, The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. So if Israel obeyed God, God would scatter their enemies. And so they're, they're asking God to keep his word and to defend them against their enemies. And they cry out to God based on the covenant God had made with Israel. Even for a New Testament believer, there's a place for trusting a holy and just God to do what is right. God said in Romans 12, 19, that vengeance is the Lord. He will repay. 
We learn from Nehemiah's prayer that we too should pray according to the will of God revealed in the Bible. We should do the same to overcome discouragement. As we're discouraged in the work of God, you're going to take God at his word and pray back his promises to him. John Bunyan, who's the author of the Pilgrim's Progress in the 1600s, the same man that was locked up in Bedford, England, for preaching the gospel without a license, he wisely observed, quote, You can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer reminds us that God is sovereign and we are not. God is in control, not our enemies who surround us in the environment that we're trying to serve him in. Think about the apostles. When they began, as Christianity spread in the book of Acts, it was met with persecution. But they didn't quit. I think of Peter and James and John as they, in Acts 3, they pass by the, the gate called Beautiful, entering into the temple, and they, they see the, the lame man there begging. And they say, Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I, ha- as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Immediately he is healed. He uses it as a springboard to preach the gospel in the Jewish temple. He goes there, he proclaims Christ as Israel's Messiah, the need to savingly believe in him. They are arrested for preaching the word. And that is common throughout the book of Acts. That most preachers had a prison ministry. Because they were prisoners themselves. They preached the gospel. As Paul Washer once said, the problem with preachers today is that no one wants to kill them anymore. And back in the book of Acts, people either got saved or they wanted to kill you. And so here they're preaching and they, they get arrested and they're, and they're threatened. And the church gathers to pray. I wonder what the prayer meeting was. Was it, oh Lord, persecution is coming. I don't want to feel any pain. Lord, persecution is coming. Help us to hide from the persecutors. Give us some type of invisibility. That's not what they prayed for. They quoted God's word. They lifted up, the Bible says, their voice and with one accord. Lord, thou art God, which has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They quote scripture, Psalm 2, how the heathen have raged against God and his Christ. And then when they're in their prayer meeting, asking God to grant them boldness, they say, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Did you notice what the early church prayed for? Lord, give us a good political climate where everybody's conservative and everyone's voting Republican. Lord, help us. That's not what they prayed. Lord, give us boldness that in the face of persecution and a God-hating society, we will be fearless and preach the word without compromise. That's what they preached for. That's what they prayed for. God, give us boldness. And when they prayed... God, God says amen to their prayer and he gives them an earthquake. Amen. That would make us run in California. But he shakes the building. He empowers them as they cried out to God in prayer for what? For boldness to preach the word in dark times. When Jonah preached in Nineveh, it wasn't a good place. It was an evil place. A dark place. And yet... 
through his preaching, this, this message of repentance and of God's coming judgment, the greatest revival known to man took place in that pagan, evil city of Nineveh. God can and does do that. God does save sinners, not just in good environments, but in evil environments. And so here are God's people. They're in a difficult, discouraging time. And what do they do? They gather together as a body and they cry out to God in prayer. Oh God, help us. See our enemies. See the work that is before us. Help us, oh God. This is the first key to responding to discouragement. Crying out to our sovereign God. Stuart Briscoe writes, Prayer is the open admission that without God we can do nothing. It humbles us in poverty before a God of plenty. And that's what they did. They, they cried out to God. Secondly, we are to respond to discouragement by number two, continuing the work of God. Continuing the work of God. Verse six. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. Now, naturally, uh, our attitude usually, when there's, a, when there's difficulties, the first thing we want to do usually is quit. We're like the boy in the playground who's playing basketball with his friends, but somehow maybe he doesn't get picked or something, and he just grabs his basketball and he goes home mad. It's over! All the games are over, he's going home, because things are not going his way. People do that often, don't they? You don't, Pastor Castro, you don't know technology like you should during the coronavirus. You're not a, you're not a tech whiz. We're leaving to this other church, a church of high techie. What? People leaving, quitting jobs, walking away from marriages, all because they've encountered a season of discouragement. That's the worst thing we can do. We always come to regret our emotional walkouts. Satan knows that if he can play on our emotions and get us to quit, he can keep the problem from being resolved. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. He feels the discouragement. He doesn't throw in the towel. He says, the people, what do you do when you're discouraged? Well, Nehemiah said, we keep on working for God. What do you do when you just want to quit? You just persevere. You just continue. You don't quit. The Word of God says the people had a mind to work. They're working, and then people would come to them. Verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? Wist I leave it and come down to you? Four times they came to Nehemiah and said, Stop your work, we've got to talk to you. Stop your work, we want to have a meeting with you. The fifth time they come to him and say, Hey, Nehemiah, the rumor is you're going to rebel against the Persian king in charge. The rumor is you want, to be a, you want the walls to be built for you can be king. Hey, hey, Nehemiah, we want to save your life. I'm only telling you this, not because not I don't, I love, I care for you, Nehemiah. Uh, yes, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good pagan. I'm just trying to save you, so let's, let's go and let's hide in the temple. They were trying everything they could to discourage them from the work of God to continue to work. Nehemiah didn't take the bait. He says, why am I going to come down and talk to you? I'm doing the work of God. Oh, come and hide in the temple to save your life. Your, my life is not more important than serving, loving, and living for God. Think about that. Nehemiah, they're going to murder you. 
come and hide in the temple. Nehemiah is not a priest. He doesn't belong in there. Nehemiah says this, more important than my physical safety is obedience to God. I'm not coming down. I'm going to build the wall. Nehemiah knew his people didn't need a bail. They needed to build. They didn't need a walk. They needed to work. I, I, and this is common in the work of God. I think of young Timothy. But we know he's young because when Paul's writing to him, he's writing to encourage him. He tells him, let no man despise thy youth. He's looked at as upon a young man, as a young man in the Ephesian church. And he wants to encourage him not to quit. He tells him, let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Don't quit. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation and doctrine. Keep on reading the word. Keep on explaining the word. And keep on urging people to obey the word. Timothy, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Keep going. I do believe you can retire from serving God. When you die. That's when you retire. When you die. Until then, we keep on going. We are to respond to discouragement by continuing the work of God. Number three. We are to respond to discouragement by concentrating on being vigilant. Concentrating on being vigilant. Look at verse 13 and 14. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their own families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, that is awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. I love it. Nehemiah, he arms everybody. Make sure, this is a, he's a Second Amendment guy here. He says, arm yourself to protect yourself and your families. He puts in a warning system. Every man's to carry also a trumpet. So if you see the enemy approaching as we're working, or they come try to come at night, you pull out your trumpet and you sound the alarm. Whenever the trumpet was blown, the workers would quickly rally to defend their families. They were to do carry two instruments at least minimum. They're to have the trowel and the sword. The trowel for the laying of the bricks and the sword for self-defense. It's interesting that uh, that was the name of uh, uh, Spurgeon's magazine, The Sword and the Trial. The idea is we're constantly fighting for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, and we're also to be building believers up as well. They were vigilant. They knew the enemy was out there. Imagine if we got a report today that somehow a large, several large lions were loose in Ronard Park. I think we would exit the building a little cautious. We would look carefully. Wives would say, honey, go, go to the car for me. <laughs> Bring it to the front. <laughs> Going out uh, in the city of Delano before COVID, when we would go out door knocking, handing out gospel tracts and talking to people, we have two extremes in our city. People either own a pet bull or a vicious chihuahua. <laughs> it's always one of the two. There's no mediums in our city. A chihuahua or a pet bull. And so if we got, went to a, we would go to a, a yard with a fence, we would always do this number. We'd just shake the fence and look. And then if it was just a little chihuahua, ah, 
I can punt him. So we'll just walk in. When it was a pet bull, we just keep on going on. We're led of the Lord to another home. But we were careful. Man, you don't want to get involved with the pit bull and have them walk on you. There's a certain vigilance when you go into a neighborhood with dogs. You have to be vigilant about it. Same thing, we live in a time when there is true spiritual warfare. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Christ loves the church and he gave his life for the church and yet the devil opposite hates the church he hates the gospel he is an enemy of God's people we are to respond to discouragement be vigilant realize more than just what we physically see there's a spiritual battle for the souls of men going on number four we are to respond to discouragement by number four focusing on the Lord and others Focusing on the Lord and others, verse 14. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, that is awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. The people were becoming discouraged because they were focused on the threat of the enemies. They were focused on the rubble of the walls. They, got their, they left their focus of God and the great work He had called them. Nehemiah directs their focus, remember the Lord. In the midst of all this work in this hostile environment, remember the Lord who saved you. He is the great and awesome one. He will not forsake His people even when they live in a hostile environment. Nehemiah assured the people that they were not just simply building walls. They were doing the work of God there in Jerusalem. When opposition hits, it is easy to get your focus off to the Lord, off the Lord and on the problems in front of us. At such times, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians 3.2 that we're to set our affection on the things above, not on the things of earth. We're to keep our mind focused on the Lord. Why do we serve? Ultimately, we do it for the Lord. Why do you witness to people? Well, I don't witness to people because they're innocent or because people are lovely. (laughs) I deal with some of the worst of society in prison. I don't usually look at a killer that's tattooed all over his face on his neck and he has his joker's eye on his... I think, oh, what a lovely guy. (laughs) That's not what what you think of. The reason you should do evangelism is because you love God. That's the main reason. Not because people are lovable, but because you love God. You do the work of God because you love Him. And secondly, we're called to love others. And always in that order. If you reverse it and say it's all about people first, you'll get discouraged. It has to be about the Lord first and then others second. Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Paul says in Romans 8.31, If God be for us, who can be against us? C.S. Lewis wrote and said this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, 
safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. God has made us to love him and to love others even when people disappoint us, even when we're discouraged. We're to respond to discouragement, focusing on the Lord and others. Number five. We are to respond to discouragement, number five, by carrying somebody else's burden. Carrying someone else's burden. Verse 16. And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the harbingers, and the rulers were behind all of the house of Judah. Verse 17. And they which built it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laden, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Nehemiah's band of strugglers here, they're the remnant of Israel, they bond together as a family, as a team. They were unified and being committed to God and his work. Some were carrying, were guards, others were building, some were carrying swords. Everyone was doing something. They were caught up in the work. Everyone was doing something for somebody else and working for God. Nehemiah tells us that they didn't even have time to wash their clothes, to take off their clothes. They understood that if they were to prevail, they needed to watch one another's back. They were to help one another in the work of God. Discouragement does the opposite. When a person's discouraged and it takes over, all you can do is think about yourself. Woe is me. I'm a victim. No one's gone through this type of suffering in the ministry for the Lord. No, we, become, we get the martyr complex. Where we're discouraged and we're the ones that are suffering. Discouragement can make us full of self-pity. When we indulge in self-pity, we will elevate our importance beyond reason. Paul says in Romans 12:3, To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Instead of letting discouragement lead you to self-pity, learn to be a help to others. Do you need encouragement right now? then encourage others. I need encouragement. I need people to call me. But how about you calling them? I remember that being one of the main complaints someone told me. No one is calling me. And I said, and who do you call? What? No oblessing glass? What's going on here? You didn't respond. How is it you want to, you're discouraged, you need someone to, you, you, you reach out as well. Everyone has a, an obligation within the local church to love one another. Are you caught up in your own needs? Go fill the needs of others. You reap what you sow and the love you give will return to you. We are to respond to discouragement by carrying someone else's burden. And number six, we respond to discouragement, number six, by continuing to assemble. Continuing to assemble. Look at verse 19. And I said unto the nobles, unto the rulers, unto the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, 
Resort ye thither unto us. In other words, rally together here. Our God shall fight for us. Think about it. When did God say he would fight for them? He would fight for them when they would rally together. Then God would fight for them. How good, the psalmist says in Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. As God's people gather together, even in the heat of battle, as they gather, then God would fight for them. There is no substitute for God's people gathering together. We don't gather in the temple in Jerusalem. But according to the book of 1 Timothy, the house of God, the temple of God today is the local church. And how sweet and pleasant is it when God's people gather to worship the Lord. That's the reason the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.25 that we're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And remember the context of the book of Hebrews. It is written to Hebrew Christians who are thinking of leaving Christianity, going back to Old Testament Judaism because it costs too much to live for Christ in their environment. In that time of discouragement, when people are thinking of living Christianity, we need to assemble more, not less, when we are discouraged. Jesus said in Matthew 18.20, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The context of that passage does not deal with the prayer meeting with two people. The context of that passage is church discipline. As a church gathers to carry out instructions from God as recorded in his word, when the church gathers together to carry out church discipline, when the church gathers together, Jesus' special presence is there among his people. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus is seen walking in the midst of his churches. The Lord is true. The Lord is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. That's true. But it's also true that God's special presence is when his people, his church, assembles. He promises to be among his people. And we're all spread out on the walls. But when you hear the trumpet sound, come together, resort ye thither unto us, rally to us here. God knew what he was doing. He knows that when a Christian is isolated from his church, he will become more discouraged. But as God's people get together to pray for one another, to sing praises to God, and to hear the preaching of the word, Christians will get encouragement in the midst of a difficult society. We need personal contact, one with another, in order to grow in grace. Adrian Rogers told a humorous story of a young man who was in love with a young girl. And so this young man would write his girlfriend. He, wouldn't, he didn't want to see her yet face to face. He was just going to write her. He would write letters to her every day for two years. Wouldn't meet face to face, just write letters. Do you know what happened at the end of those two years? She married the mailman. <laughs> Because <laughs> she's the one she, he's, she saw every day bringing some wonderful letters. <laughs> Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. 
That is the manner of some. They have hobbies to do. As far as I know, it's not the Lord's hour, it's the Lord's day. Oh, but I got a hobby. I got a I'm one with God on the lake. What? You're to be in the house of God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. When we're discouraged, we need to assemble with God's people to worship God. And through these ordinary means of grace, God will encourage us to press on to do the work of God. Listen, as far as I know, we don't have it as bad as Nehemiah. No one said, if you go to that Brian Baptist church, we're going to kill you. You probably would stay home if they told you that. We're not living in that difficult environment, though our environment is difficult. Nevertheless, let us respond with faithfulness, continue to assemble as God's people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious word. And Lord, every believer has gone through seasons of discouragement. Help us, Lord, as we assemble as your people to worship you in prayer, the singing of praises to your great and holy name, to hear your word read and taught. Use the ordinary means of prayer and of the word being read and preached. Use that to encourage your people here at Brian Baptist Church. Encourage them in the work that you've called your church to do. To proclaim the gospel to every creature. To disciple believers. To grow in grace. And that we would encourage one another. We would provoke one another to love and to good works. As Nehemiah and the people of God labored in a very difficult and harsh environment. May be said of us that we will labor regardless of what's going on around us. We will labor for you here in the the temple, the house of God, which is the church of God. Do your work, your way, for your glory, through your people. We thank you for your grace and mercy and for the encouragement that we find in your word. Bless the truth of your word to the life of your church. For we ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bbaptist.com. Dot org.